the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Situation Report today. Very glad to have you joining me. This is the show where we do our very best every single episode three times a week to give you the information and perspectives you need to navigate an ever-changing culture. My name is Jeremy Soniker. I am your host today. And today we are going to be dealing with a topic uh, that is very important to me, very important in the work that I do outside of this show, and I hope important to you as well. Uh, June is the month where a lot of things are being celebrated, a lot of things are being remembered, but June has been designated as an opportunity for us to remember, to understand post-traumatic stress disorder. This is PTSD Awareness Month, and again, I know it's Awareness of a Lot of Things Month in June. But PTSD Awareness Month, this is the month where we talk about post-traumatic stress and post-traumatic stress disorder, trauma, what it is, what it isn't, why it matters, where resources can be found. And that is a topic that is, again, very important to me. In the work that I am a part of with the Mighty Oaks Foundation, we spend a lot of time talking about combat trauma, talking about post-traumatic stress disorder, how it is derived from trauma in combat or trauma uh, for those who are coming from a military background, who have served their country in the military, what it is and how we can address that. We talk a lot about that uh, in the context of, again, the work that I do with Mighty Oaks. But it is so misunderstood. I think there are a lot of people today who want to understand it, who want to help those who are struggling with it, but don't exactly know how to do that. So today we have an incredible guest on, a friend of mine, a friend of our organizations, and someone who has written on this, talked about it, who teaches about it, who is very, very qualified to talk on this subject. Very, very thankful to have the opportunity to present this conversation to you with my friend, Dr. Curtis Solomon. Very grateful to have Curtis on with us today. He is the executive director of the Biblical Counseling Coalition, which I'm sure he'll talk about a little bit. Uh, an Air Force veteran, former employee of the Veterans Administration. And I always bring that up because we talk about so many issues that are relevant to uh, those who served in the military. An author, also on the board of advisors for the Mighty Oaks Foundation. And uh, we've become friends over the years um, someone that's been become a very important friend to me because of the relationship, but also because of his wisdom and understanding of so many issues. And uh, this is a lot of things, I guess, are being celebrated this month. But <laughs> for our purposes, um, this is uh, post-traumatic stress um, disorder, PTSD awareness month. We'll talk about that as well. But uh, no one better in my life to have come on and talk about that than Curtis. Uh, Curtis, thank you so much for joining us, man. I know you're very, very busy. We're kind of fitting this between your your other appointments. So thanks for joining us. Yeah, absolutely. It's my pleasure to do it. And I really appreciate you as well as the ministry of Mighty Oaks and the, and the various outlets that the Lord has allowed you guys to expand to. Um, man, let's just start with, uh, with your background a little bit. Um, just, just talk about kind of where you came from and how you got into the counseling world and what you're doing now. Sure. So uh, I grew up in a Christian home, which I've come to realize is such a unique blessing. Yeah. And I was uh, raised by believing parents, believing grandparents, and lots of aunts and uncles around. Uh, grew up in the church, going to church, and very involved. And around 14, realized I want to go into vocational ministry, really felt the Lord calling me to be a pastor at that point, and started uh, the trajectory toward a particular Bible college that I was uh, introduced to because of some mentors in my life who were very significant. Went to that school, and while I was looking at the classes to take my second semester, I thought, well, pastors probably have to do some, some premarital <laughs> counseling or something right. like that. And I saw that on as an option on the curriculum to choose from. And so I jumped into that class and it really changed the trajectory of my life from that point. Mm. It really, the professor, more than anything, he said, I want to help you have handles for your Bible so that you understand 
this thing isn't just good for Sunday morning or Wednesday night or, uh, you know, 15 minutes in the morning while you're having a prep time or whatever. This is a life book and something that has truth to address every, everything that comes at us in life. And so I switched majors over to biblical counseling right away. And, uh, from there went on the seminary, uh, to do a master of divinity at Southern seminary. And then through lots of different channels around about a decade or so after I graduated, went back to do a PhD in biblical counseling. And that has led me to uh, now be the executive director of the biblical counseling coalition. And just recently was hired to be the assistant professor and program coordinator for biblical counseling at Boyce college. So that's a, my, my life of 40 some years in a nutshell. (laughs) I, I, uh, I appreciate your background um, because you know, you were raised in a Christian home. You've been in vocational ministry. In fact, we met when you were a youth pastor at a church um, that we're connected to through Mighty Oaks. Uh, but you also served in the military. You have worked for the Veterans Administration. So when you talk about, you know, these kind of big topics like mental health and post-traumatic stress and combat trauma, you have also a secular or kind of non-biblical view of those things. And I think that gives you a clear view on on what we're talking about. Um, one of the criticisms for Christians is that they have no connection to, you know, anything outside of the Bible or Christianity. And, uh, and you have those perspectives. Uh, can you talk a minute about how that, some of your non-church, non-biblical um, counseling experiences helped to shape you as you, you looked at doing this, the work that you're doing now? Yeah, well, obviously, um, as you mentioned, having served in the military and also coming from a family of veterans, uh, I, I was fascinated by the concept of post-traumatic stress disorder. And then when, uh, not, not fascinated as a, a theoretical idea, but just like, man, this is a significant problem for right. people in my life and people I know and people I'm seeing. And then after seminary is when I worked at the Department of Veterans Affairs and my role wasn't in, in the mental health field in particular, but I was helping process disability and compensation claims. And, and what I saw though, is a lot of uh, men and women, soldiers, sailors, airmen, mar- Marines, uh, Coast Guardsmen coming out of service with a lot of these difficulties. Um, and I, what I saw is the VA was kind of, and the secular world was throwing a lot of things at the resources at these problems, but there were some key things missing that I thought biblical counseling and, and yeah. scripture would be able to provide. But at the same time, you, you do have a lot of resource. You have a lot of research and a lot of things that are being thrown um, at this problem because it's a significant problem. Um, I think at the time, 22 veterans a day were committing suicide. Yeah. That was a huge initiative of yeah. the the political administration to try to combat that and encounter that. Um, <clears throat> so when I, when I went back to do a PhD in biblical counseling, I focused, I wanted to focus on post-traumatic stress disorder and as well expand biblical counseling into empirical research, which is yeah. what led me to um, connect with you all. And then ended up doing a study of, of mighty Oaks, the legacy program to see how, uh, how and demonstrate, the effectiveness that you guys have in, in caring for that. But the, the secular side of things, re- doing a lot of research in that field helped me understand what it is that's going on in somebody's life, but kind of the lived experience. I mm. think that is one of the things where the psychological community, the mental health community does a great job is they're very good at observing people and identifying patterns and behaviors and things that are common. And that's when we talk about PTSD, that's where it's to me, understanding the DSM and how we diagnose or how diagnoses are given to mental health disorders. uh, They're really a description of phenomenon. They're a description Mm -hmm. of behaviors or things that happen to people uh, it's it's a little bit different. There are certain mental health diagnoses where you can you can go in, you can do a brain scan, you can look at right. something a little bit more objective, like um, not a, not that the others are not objective, but like do what you would do to have a diagnostic procedure done. Like you think about going and get a diagnosis of you have the flu, you have a cold, somebody yeah, right. your right. throat. 
But so many of those things are behavioral, looking at phenomena that happen to people. And uh, yeah, just help me understand people better, some of the experiences that they are going through uh, because of significant suffering and difficulty that's come into their lives. That's one of the, one of the things that I was really blessed by and learned from, from a lot of that research and learning and experience. And man, uh, sometimes biblical counselors for wrong or right reasons get a, get a bad rap of being really negative about other other people. But the reality is we, we, we recognize people want to help people and we all agree on that. Sometimes understanding what is the root problem uh, and seeing that as maybe different. And then also the solutions might be a little bit different. Um, But man, there's a lot, uh, a lot that we have in common there of a passion, desire to help people. As you know, our friend Mike Lindell has a passion to help everyone get the best sleep of your life. He didn't stop by simply creating the best pillow. Now Mike has done it again by introducing his My Slippers. For a limited time, you will save $90 on a pair of My Slippers. This blowout sale of the year won't last, so order now. Mike has taken two years to develop the My Slippers, and they are designed to wear both indoor and out all day long. Made with My Pillow foam and Impact Gel to help prevent fatigue, they are also made with quality leather suede. Call 1-800-870-0283, use the promo code SITREP, or go to MyPillow.com, click on the radio listener square, and use promo code SITREP. This offer will not last long, so order now with promo code SITREP at MyPillow.com. Yeah, that's good. I, that's important to be said too. I, I think um, we're all on the same road trying to accomplish the same thing. We may view that differently or approach that differently, but the goal is to to help. Um, and and post traumatic stress is one of those things that is very, very misunderstood. I think twenty years ago when I was in the Marine Corps, there was very little talk of post traumatic stress. Uh, I mean, we can go back 200 years and see incidents of what we would now call post-traumatic stress, but right. it's, it, you know, it, there's very little known about it, very little written about it. Um, and then <laughs> everyone had post-traumatic stress, right? The entire military community had post-traumatic stress and anyone who's ever struggled had post-traumatic stress. And then we realized this is not simply a military problem. This is something that uh, a lot of people who have never been in the military, those who've struggled with uh, sexual abuse or physical abuse or death of a loved one, all of these issues, um, also dealing with post-traumatic stress, very, very misunderstood and I think very misdiagnosed. So as we begin a discussion on this, why don't we just start with that? What is post-traumatic stress or post-traumatic stress disorder? Um, mm-hmm. how, how is that diagnosed and how, does it, how is it de- determined if someone has that? Yeah, so I like, and you and I've talked about this a lot, I prefer the concept of post-traumatic stress and will, and typically when I'm talking, if I'm, if I'm consistent, I'm not always consistent, I'll say <laughs> post-traumatic stress to refer to the phenomenon that is being described and right. PTSD as the diagnosis that's sometimes given yeah, to that's people. Good. Um, so when you're lot, talking about the diagnosis of post-traumatic stress disorder, you have to have somebody who's gone through in the DSM, what's called a criterion A stressor or a criterion A event. This is a traumatic or potentially traumatic event. And it's actually limited to certain types of things. You mentioned uh, some of them. It really comes down to it has to be a threat or actual experience that has happened to you or you've observed happening or potentially finding out about it happening to a close loved one. And those events, though, are are threats to life, limb, Mm. Um, and sexual integrity, if you were to, to simplify it. Somebody has to actually threaten your life, uh, try to kill you. You have to observe something like that happening or go through an experience that leaves somebody significantly harmed or maimed or sexual assault. Uh, that So having that event is a significant factor. And that's where um, we, we may go down this rabbit trail later, but I'll just say the term trauma is being overused. Yeah. Now. Yeah. Um, 
And in the mental health field and in the literature, if we're talking about trauma, it has to be related to something like that. There's actually a separate diagnosis for people who develop similar symptoms to PTSD, but have not experienced that kind of event. So I'm in favor of limiting it to those types of events. uh, If you're going to talk about somebody experiencing trauma, Uh, sometimes when I get pushback on that, I just tell people, hey, can we agree that people who are in combat, people who've been in a, in a significant car accident, people who've watched a loved one killed, that suffering is more intense than some of the other types of suffering that we right. experience. They sure. say yes. And then I say, for, for the love of those people, can we reserve that term for mm. that experience? And most, most people accept that and appreciate that. So, uh, so getting back to it, you have that experience. And then you developed a, a, a certain amount of uh, response to those symptoms that fall into four main categories of what they call symptom clusters. The first is um, intrusive symptoms. This are, these are things that we think about all the time with flashbacks, uh, nightmares, memories, uh, unwanted memories. Um, there's avoidance symptoms. That's people who stay away from things that they know will trigger them to have a a threat response system or a panic attack or remind them of the trauma. But it can also include substance abuse, right? Because that is an attempt to avoid the negative experiences that they are going through or isolation. Uh, So those are all avoidance symptoms. And there's a negative um, alterations in cognition or mood that the mood part is like typically people are ticked off or very sad, or one of those two things, uh, more than they used to be, or negative alterations in cognition is a difficulty concentrating, a hard time thinking, um, other things like that. And then the last cluster uh, of symptoms, so you have the, I'm trying to remember the four off the top of my head, this is where I always get stuck, but um, yeah, um, hopefully it'll come back to me, but basically you have, have start to have those types of um, responses after a significant event and they last for over a month and uh, they impact your life in a negative right. way. Right. Really. Um, and the, the thing about post is this can happen to somebody immediately after a traumatic event. And if it doesn't resolve in a month and they're diagnosed with PTSD, or it could be something where it pops up 50 years later. Like maybe that they, they seems like they've never had a struggle before. Mm. And then 50 years later, something happens and they begin having these different intrusive memories, uh, avoidance issues, uh, alterations in cognition or mood. Um, and then and it lasts for a long time, interrupts their life. Then they're diagnosed with with PTSD. So that's, that's kind of the diagnosis side of things from the, the DSM, the diagnostic and statistical manual. Um, the, what I think is a more, uh, an important aspect of that, that we talk about a lot, you've written about it is that these types of things are not abnormal responses to normal life. Mm. Right. That in, but they're, common responses to very significant suffering, very extreme uh, life. So, uh, and that's where I think it is helpful. And you guys write about it to remove the D because for the person who's struggling with this type of experience, that D is um, discouraging. It robs them of hope. It can make them feel broken or like a freak or other things like that. And so when we remove that D and say, listen, you are not broken. You're not a freak. You're not abnormal. You're not average Joe going through life. And then all of a sudden you flip out. No, you've been through something really significant. And then you're having a very common response to that significant uh, event in your life. So that's, that's kind of a, a nutshell of, how it's diagnosed, but also uh, maybe an altered way of thinking about it besides just a diagnosis, but an experience that we go through. It's interesting because, and I think you alluded to this earlier, that the diagnosis for post-traumatic stress really is symptomatic. It's it's based on 
symptoms, not something you can see per se in a scan or something like that. And so, you know, it falls into one of those clusters and it ties back to that traumatic event. So if you can, you know, if you can tie one of those responses back to a traumatic event, then you will probably be diagnosed with post-traumatic stress. Um, and why that's important or significant to me is because it's easy then for the rest of your life to tie back any abnormal response or any, you know, anger response or any, you know, emotional abnormality, something that you're feeling that you don't normally feel and say, well, it's because of this thing that happened to me. And this post-traumatic stress diagnosis now is a lifelong sentence, right? And so that's why we remove the D because when you say someone is disordered or broken, that is, that's a forever symptom. My leg has been uh, removed from my body. It can never grow back. That's just how I am now. And a lot of people, they live that way. They live believing that what happened to me in my past now has to shadow or shade everything, every relationship, every job, um, every decision and intent. It removes my purpose because I'm broken. And so in that, I believe, and I know you do as well, that there can be healing. There is healing, that it's not a life sentence. Um, what are some of the misunderstandings beyond that, that it's, it's brokenness, it's, it's a mis- uh, um it's a life life sentence. I don't know a better way to say it. It is a life sentence. It's forever. I'll be dealing with this forever. I can never get better. I can never have a good relationship. I can never hold down a job. I can never do these things because of my PTS. Um, I think the disordered part is a huge misunderstanding. What are some other things that are misunderstood about a PTS diagno- diagnosis? Well, the other the other side, the calling it a disorder is partially, and this is this is where there's a little bit of a worldview difference. Is the medical model of mental health uh, treating all of these things as a as an illness or a sickness? Um, that diagnosis is tied to that a little bit. And what happens is is somebody is told you have PTSD, which we treat as an illness, and there's no cure for that illness. Yeah. That's what people are told. Um, And so then it leads to all those things that you just described, a feeling of a lifelong sentence that it's a chronic illness that I'll never get over. Um, That's that's a key problem with the way that it is talked about and the way that people uh, um, experience it and are, are told to experience it. Another thing that is pretty common that is problematic is tied tied to that is that because this is an illness that I have that I cannot change, that I'm not going to grow in, that I'm, there's nothing I can do about it, is that everybody else around me then has to adapt right. to my new normal. Right. right. And we, instead of um, helping people grow, helping hold people accountable to the things that they can control, uh, we just tell them, you're a victim. You'll, you just, you just keep doing you and we'll just tell your family that they have to walk on eggshells around you all the time. And that's normal. And that's okay. Uh, your wife just has to expect that you're going to blow up every once in a while. That's okay. Your kids are just going to have to realize they can't, um, do certain things. Now I do want to say to the family, we should take into consideration and understand the, the real impact that this has on somebody's life and be sensitive to that. But that doesn't, that's not a lifetime thing. And it doesn't excuse every negative behavior that ever comes around. Obviously uh, being a biblical counselor and coming to it from a Christian perspective, we also understand that some of these things are sin um, and they need to be addressed. There is accountability. There is forgiveness available to that. Um, Yeah. Those are, those are some of the other problematic ways of thinking about thinking about post-traumatic stress. We like to use the phrase, um, or I like to use the phrase, there's never an excuse for bad behavior. There may be a reason, <laughs> but there's but there's not an excuse. And, you know, it's for years I, I dealt with, you know, these severe anger issues where I'd blow up at my kids or my family, and then I would excuse it away. Well, it's your fault because of, or if you hadn't, then I wouldn't have. But there's not an excuse for that behavior. There may be a reason, and it can be trauma. It can be a lot of other things, but that doesn't excuse it away. And owning that, I think, is really important in the process, is, is acknowledging what happened happened. It should not have happened, and I'm not going to um, make an excuse for it. But a lot of people, they like to live in this 
I'll say brokenness. And this is one of the things that's always been uh, troubling to me or disconcerting. It's been very hard for me to understand. Um, I, I liken it to uh, that show Hoarders where people are living in their absolute filth. And then someone comes in and cleans it up and gives them a new lease on life. And they, they start crying because all their stuff's gone, right? They're not living in filth anymore. And they want to get back to that. Um, what is it that compels people to hang on to this brokenness, even when a path forward can be shown to them? Why do people resist getting better or healing from trauma? Yeah, I mean, there's a number of reasons you guys actually tackle in, I think it's the truth about PTSD. I think there are seven different kind of yeah. false narratives that people hold on to with that. Uh, and so it's going to be different for different people. Sometimes it's an identity thing. Right? right. Like you have become right. identified with your diagnosis and there is, um, I mean, honestly, like there's some good that can come from that in, in a, in a very selfish way. Like I can, people will treat me differently. Mm. I can get away with certain things. Right. I can be honored, respected, whatever. You know, um, I talked to some people here, I'm on an academic campus and they said, you know, there are some veterans who come to our campus and they wear it on their sleeve. Yeah. You know? It's, it's who they are and you can just see, see it uh, all the time. Others, it's a little bit more, you know, they could fly under the radar. They're not talking about it all the time. So identity is so significant to us. And if you have been through intense suffering, uh, especially if it's in the context of service to your country, that can, in a sense, carry a badge of honor for mm -hmm. you. Yeah. And it can be really valuable to yeah. you. Um, the other is there is a defense, there is that defense that is super common. You hear it all the time. We hear it all the time. And it's one of the beautiful things that the legacy program does is it tears down this idea that you can't tell me what to do because you've never been where I've been right, sure. seeing what I've seen. So it defends people, uh, and gives them an excuse for bad behavior. Um, or never wanting to change. The other side of it is change is hard. Yeah, right. It's just right. difficult. And people tend to go to the path of least resistance. Um, we don't like doing things that are hard. Um, so there, those are just a few different reasons why people get stuck in this forever brokenness, um, as, you, as you described it. As a counselor, what do you say to that person? They've come to you because there's a problem. Maybe they're pushed there because their spouse said there's a problem. You need to talk to someone. And you understand in assessing them that they're broken. They can acknowledge they're broken. They don't want to get better. What do you say to them to go, here's the reason you need to take this seriously? Oh, man, there's a lot of, a lot of different reasons. And depends on the person and their, their context, their background, and why they're coming in. Uh, but a couple things that why they need to take it seriously is that if they don't, if they stay stuck, the common struggles that they are going to be experiencing tend to get worse and worse and worse and mm, worse. Yeah. Um, not dealing with an issue doesn't make it go away and it doesn't usually stay the same. It tends to get spiral out of control. Yeah, yeah. And as you are well aware, and as we mentioned earlier, suicide is a significant threat for people who are struggling with post-traumatic stress. Um, there is a, there's both the internal kind of sin battle, the struggle, the, the acknowledgement that my struggle is in, impacting the lives of people around me. And then we have an enemy who is trying to devour us. Yeah. And there are lies that we are tempted to believe that say everybody else would be better off if you were gone. Yeah. Everybody yeah. else would be better off if I was gone. And so warning them like, Hey, like that is potentially the end for you. If you don't mm. do something, if you don't begin to turn the other thing is that that pain as, as uh, I think Heather so well puts it, is it suicide doesn't take the pain away. It just transfers it onto those who love you. Right. Um, in Chad's testimony of one of the reasons that kept him from committing suicide is the statistics on children of uh, victims of suicide are far more likely to commit right. suicide themselves. Right. So even just telling the person, Hey, like if this is the path you go down, it's going to impact your children and your family and your children's children for generations to come. Like it is just a bad thing. The, the other side of it <clears throat> is, is actually giving that. So you kind of show them the warning side, yeah. the danger, but also giving them hope 
like, man, there is, there is hope for growth and change, yeah. regardless of whether or not people say there's no cure. There are people who are better off uh, in life, who've grown, who've experienced what we call post-traumatic growth or post-traumatic sanctification, who are in many ways better off after their trauma mm. and the help that they've received than they were before. That's and that is a hope that God gives all of us yeah. as his followers that he uses everything in our lives to make us more like Jesus. And so we are getting better in our inner man, as, as Paul writes to the letter in the Corinthians, even though our outer man is decaying and fading, our inner man is being renewed day by day. That's so good. their soul can be better because of their trauma, if they use it in the way that God intends for them to use it. And then leaving a legacy for your family, right? That's the, the, the name of your guys um, program. The legacy program is significant and it's purposeful. When the, we did the study on Mighty Oaks, the alumni said the legacy program, the legacy lecture was one of the most significant lectures for them and their experience. And just realizing when they leave, people will remember them. Yeah. For yeah. And yeah. is it going to be for uh, being a scary guy, being never around, always isolating, being a threat to everybody, being depressed all the time? Or is it going to be a legacy worth following and a legacy worth honoring? And most people want to, trauma tends to, to steal our sense of purpose and meaning mm-hmm. and significance. And we can give that back to them uh, through good care, through counsel, through uh, just being a brother or sister to them and help them see that God has, they're still here. They're still breathing. He has a purpose for them uh, on this planet and in his grand scheme of uh, redemptive history. Yeah, that's good. Um, I always think it's an interesting conversation to have with particularly a service member, a former service member, a veteran who would say that their life at one time was focused on serving others, serving their country, serving a cause bigger than themselves, uh, standing in the gap, defending those who can't defend themselves, all those things we like to say as, as veterans. And then they come to a point in their own life where everything becomes about them, how they feel, um, how they respond, what's happened to them. And you know, a big part of this for me, I think in my process, coming back from Iraq and dealing with the things I was dealing with, was just realizing, and this is not popular, I guess, but how selfish I was being, that really it's, it's, it's not about you. And so you have a responsibility to heal. You have a responsibility to get better. You'll never forget what happened to you. You'll never get over what happened to you. Those are kind of silly terms that we throw around. But you can, as you mentioned, grow through that and leave a legacy that's valuable and, and meaningful because it's, it's really not about you. And you now have a responsibility to continue serving, continue standing in the gap, continue defending those who can't defend themselves. And uh, what a privilege that is. I, I feel so bad for people who feel like at, you know, 30 years or 40 years old, some are much older than that, but uh, really in the prime of their life that they're done. They've done what they're going to do. And man, there's so much more out there and trying to help people understand that. Um with all of that said, let's talk about the faith-based approach to dealing with post-traumatic stress. Because again, I think that's a departure from much of the clinical literature. Yeah. Um, something that I have written on a little bit, something that we've talked about, something that we teach in our program, and something that you have researched. So yeah. talk about what that means when we say faith-based approach. I put that in air quotes because uh, it can mean a lot of different things to a lot of different people. And then yeah. some of the, uh, the data that you have um, come across that you've developed um, in your research on the effectiveness of uh, the faith-based approach to dealing with with trauma. Yeah, well, a couple of things. Uh, I want to add a couple of things that I'm, I left off before. the The fourth cluster was the hyper arousal. Oh, right, called, right. Like the right. not being able to sleep, yep. easily startled, those kind of things. And then to acknowledge the fact that that um, there are physiological impacts of trauma. Like it actually does impact our brain. You know, God designed us with a threat response system. So when we see danger, we either crush it or we get away from it. Um, And that gets hijacked in post-traumatic stress. And you can actually see alterations in somebody's brain. But one of the beautiful things, and this, I think it's a nice segue into the faith-based thing, 
one of the beautiful things is there are studies out there that show a reversal of some of those, even those physiological brain wow. connectivity things wow. through talk therapy. Yeah. Right. So, so there's wow. something called dendrites, which are the end, the very ends of our neurons that actually do the communicating between different neurons in our brains and they can atrophy and actually fade away. Uh, and you get this disconnection in a sense between that threat response system and then our prefrontal cortex where we, what I say is our body senses a threat and then we assess a threat. Mm. The sensing a threat happens involuntarily. Right. Assessing the threat is where we say, oh, that's just my kid with a banana who jumped around the corner to try to scare me. Yeah. Or, oh, that's a dude with a knife and I need right. to take him out or get out of here. Right. Um, with post-trauma, a lot of times that connection between sensing and assessing the threat can, can deteriorate. And so it's harder to assess when a threat is real or not real. Um, but that study that showed that those dendrites can actually regrow. That's crazy. Not through medicine, not through electroshock, but through talk therapy. Yeah, crazy. Yeah. It's wild. And then, so in, in January of 2019, the Journal of the American Medical Institution released a, uh, an article saying that the VA and the DOD use three primary treatments for frontline defense or first line defense of and treatment of post-traumatic stress disorder. They're EMDR, uh, cognitive processing therapy and exposure therapy. And, uh, and they basically said medication is no longer recommended as the first thing because the consequences are outweigh the benefit. Yeah, there's a big downside, right? Yeah. Big downside and not as much benefit. And they only recommend medication if the person has gone through a lot of talk therapy, but not been responsive to that. Mm. So the mm. interesting thing is that at the center of those three treatments and their theory for change is thought change. Um, cognitive processing therapy, the therapist looks for what they call stuck points, which are basically faulty th ideas in your thinking about your trauma, about your experience, whatever. Um, and they counter those stuck points and get you to believe what something that's better or yeah. more affirming yeah. or what they think is true. Um, exposure therapy is the, the idea of I'm, I'm feeling threatened by things that are not threatening. So I'm going to expose myself to those threatening things over and over and over again until I realize either through um, just not, you know, desensitization or rationalization that that threat, that thing is not actually threatening. So it's changing thinking. And then the current theory with EMDR is that it's helping you take something that was, is stuck in short-term memory because of trauma and process it into long-term memory. Uh, but you actually replace thoughts that are disturbing to you with thoughts that are comforting to you mm. through this thing. So again, all three point to yeah. thought. Change. Yeah. Well, the faith-based approach um, does that in, in spades. Mm. Like we focus on thoughts, but we focus on far more than thoughts. Right. Right. And like we thought we talk about emotions, we talk about our design as what God has created. Mm. That's one of the things that's very different is most of those therapies allow the person who's coming for treatment or the therapist to supply what is truth. So when we are substituting our, our stuck points or our false ideas we replace it with the truth of our own making. Whereas a faith-based approach is yeah. going to say, this is the truth. Yeah. And it's not just my idea or my therapist's idea. It is God's truth that's about good. life, about whatever it is that's happening. But then we also bring in, you know, we don't bring in the God's there, the right. Holy Spirit, prayer, all these spiritual disciplines, other things like that. The, the church, I, I call them in my, PTSD counseling training are spiritual resources and, um, and allies that are mm. coming alongside us. So you guys use the imagery of quarter corner men in the legacy program. That's, that's because God created us to live in community. That's good. You yep. recognize that having friends, having people around us to support us helps us resist the, the struggles, the uh, pre-traumatic, you know, if we have support before we go through traumatic experiences, we're far better prepared to face suffering. If we have support in the midst of our suffering, we're far, we respond better. Or if we get support immediately after intense suffering, we tend to respond better 
than if we don't have those kind of sports. Because right. God, right. God said it's not good for man to be alone. Yeah, right. right. So we're bringing all these things, and um, where the secular world has done the best work, it's actually a shadow of what God teaches us. That's and crazy. God calls yeah. us to live. Crazy. So, yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, that's I can keep on going. I could jump into the stats. Yeah. Whatever you want, well, I want but. you. Yeah, I want you to do that. It's interesting. I was listening to. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with uh, Dr. Andrew Huberman. He's a. He is um, a neurologist. Has a podcast, and he deals with all kinds of stuff. But he did a podcast on trauma and how to deal with trauma. And I was very interested in what he was going to say. And he went through. And he he is um, Stanford professor. He doesn't claim to be a Christian, um, very strong evolutionary biology position. And he spent about an hour and a half talking about the importance of talking about trauma because it's going to bring us to a place of healing. And I thought that was fascinating. And and I thought exactly, I didn't think, <laughs> I didn't use that term as a shadow, but I thought, man, it's crazy how close people who don't acknowledge God can get to the truth. <laughs> Yeah. And how helpful what God teaches can be, even if you don't understand why. And um, I hear people talk about this, and I think, yeah, that's because God, the Creator, designed it that way, and that's how it should work. If you can, can you break down some of the statistics? Because, again, I think one of the pushbacks is that's neat, but it's not super effective. Um, you did a long study with a lot of people and found it to be very effective. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, so we what we did uh, is... I took the men's legacy program and I just studied it for a couple of years. We basically did two primary approaches to the study we did. Uh, so that's called a mixed method approach for those nerds out there who want to know. <laughs> uh, we had a quantitative side and then a qualitative side where we did a quantitative pre-test post-test mm. survey. So participants the week before they went through the legacy program, we gave them a survey that had two different measurement tools. One was called the PCL five. It's a post-traumatic stress checklist, uh, for the DSM five. If a veteran has come, I mean, most anybody who's been in that world has probably taken that survey. Mm. Uh, and then I combined it with a, uh, survey called the strengths of religious commitment survey that came out of Santa Clara university, uh, and then six months after they took the, they went through the legacy program, we went back to them and asked them to take the exact yeah. two same surveys. And we're hoping to see, what we hope to see is a decrease in PTSD symptoms and an increase in faith. The uh, strength of religious commitment is, is, is the term they would, how they would describe it. So we did that. We had a pretty good, a decent number of people, 45 completers, uh, and out of that, what we found is that a really significant percentage of people uh, responded well to the program. So the, the, the most clear finding is that if you go through the legacy program, your PTSD symptoms are most likely going to go away. I think 71, over 71% of the respondent of the people who went through a survey saw a positive yeah. response, like their symptoms went down and wow. the symptoms, it wasn't just a slight reduction. It was very significant. 37% of those who responded to treatment actually obtained remission. Basically the, they would have qualified for a, a diagnosis of PTSD when they came to Mighty Oaks. And by the end, six months later, no diagnosis Incredible. using that P, using that PCL five. Uh, we also saw that the majority of people did have an increase of faith. I found out this is one of the things about research is you find out after the fact that some of your tools get messed up. Um, one of the problems with the strength of religious commitment survey is a lot of people scored as high as they possibly could when they came in. Right. Right. They couldn't go up. Sure. Uh, sure. So sure. what we, what I did is I looked at, uh, and, and a lot of that was based on the subjectivity. One of the big questions is how important is your faith mm. to you? Yeah. And most people would say extremely important, but as, as we know, and as most people understand in, in faith-based circles, there are a lot of people who say that, but their life doesn't really flesh it out. That's right. Yeah. So then what I did is I looked at the objective behaviors like church attendance, scripture reading, things like that. And what we saw there is that there is a very strong correlation between you practicing those things mm -hmm. and your PTSD symptoms That's going good. down. Yeah. And what what and then the the other side of the the study was the qualitative uh, retrospective alumni survey. So we went back <laughs> to we sent a survey to about seven hundred uh, Mighty Oaks alumni and asked them like, 
was it beneficial to you? Like, would you say your symptoms reduced or not? We didn't have the opportunity to score them objectively. And that's yeah. where it's qualitative versus quantitative. Um, most said, yeah, absolutely. It was very helpful. And then we also asked them like, what was helpful about the program? Which of these classes was most helpful mm-hmm. to you? What other components? And we, we asked them about things like getting out into a distraction-free environment, um, having instructors who were uh, also combat veterans, things mm-hmm. like that. That actually was one of the biggest scores, like more than anything else, that was the highest score is having instructors who had been through PTSD before. And what that, uh, that points to that peer to peer thing we were talking about before in the mental health world, we would call that a peer to peer treatment program in life. We call that friends, (laughs) people who have suffered, like suffered with you and and can share that, that suffering and that, uh, that knowledge, that understanding. So with the, as far as the statistics go on the study that we did at Mighty Oaks, it was massively effective. Um, so yeah, over almost 40% of people who responded would have had no PTSD diagnosis after they went through 71% of the people going through responded really well. And, and I think over 51 responded in a clinically significant way, meaning a reduction of 10 points or more on a scale of like 50. So, uh, it was really powerful results that, that, uh, what you guys are doing through the legacy program is very, very, very helpful to people. Um, and man, I could, I could pick it, pick the information apart for days. So, but this is a podcast, not a, <laughs> not a summer, summer school. <laughs> maybe, maybe we'll do a, a part two, but I, I love, uh, that there is data that supports that. And again, to me, you know, coming from a Christian perspective, a biblical worldview, what that is, is it's, it's a validation for what we know to be true. We believe to be true, but maybe we can't put a number on it. We believe as Christians that doing things God's way, because he is the creator, he created us, he knows how we're supposed to operate, he has a plan for us. If we do it his way, then we will see healing where there's brokenness. We'll see hope where there is none, purpose where there is none, direction where there is none, because he created us that way. And your research, really what it does is it bears that out. It's like, well, let's let's put it on paper and we can see it. Um, and that's fantastic. It's funny, people ask us a lot, how did you come up with this, this program, the legacy program? How did you develop this? And it's kind of like, well, you know, the Bible says, and so we just kind of do that. And it's really not, it's not more complicated. I wish it was, because when people ask that, I want to give a really smart answer. I just don't have one other than we just try to do what God told us to do. And we've seen people really um, improve, heal, find hope, direction, and purpose, and the rest of it because we're doing what God has told us to do. Well, that yeah, and what that betrays, honestly, is, uh, is more our a low opinion of us, our low view of mm-hmm. us, and our, our respect for God and His Word. Uh, because people don't like to hear it. It sounds really simplistic. And yeah. I think the Bible yeah. is just a bunch of fairy tales or yeah. myth or whatever, but we're talking the creator of the universe mm. who made us. Yeah. Knows what, how we tick, why we tick that way and what makes that ticking stop or break. <laughs> right. Gives us, gives us his word, his message and his instruction on how to live this life in a way that's pleasing to him. And we say, oh, that's poppycock. Mm. Oh, that's that's just simplistic. Or, oh, yeah. that's whatever. It's like, no, this is super profound uh, and has massive, massive implications for us. And one of the, so a significant part of what I do is helping people connect to Scripture to help them see this isn't just a bunch of fairy tales. These right. are historical people who live through historical events who are experiencing the similar similar kinds of things that you're experiencing. Yeah. And when they can see that, that scripture maps on their life or really their life maps on scripture, it's like, Oh wow. This yeah. really gets me. It's like, yeah. well, yeah, it gets you because it's written by the guy who made you. That's right. Um, and that's exactly how I start my counseling training. But also my counseling is I tell people the reason you have problems is because God created this you to work in this way. And we have the, I have this diagram. It's like, your heart, your body, your relationships, creation, et cetera, in this, these concentric circles that go outward. And I said, but then sin came in, suffering mm. comes in, broken relationships come in, our bodies are broken, all this stuff and that, and it gets all out of whack. And what we get to do uh, in cooperation with the Spirit is realign our lives with 
God's original design plan for us. Yeah, that's, that's what, that's what you guys talk about. That's what, um, so your program, your PTSD program, that's has a 45 minute lecture on PTSD and the right. rest of it is like, <laughs> right. Oh, by the way, Hey, God's called you to be like yeah. this. God's called you to be like this. And this is how, how you get there. That's significantly helpful. Yeah, yeah. man, that's really good. Um, last question. We could talk about this for a lot longer, but last question is regarding families or to the families. Yeah. Um, I'm sure you get this question a lot. I get this very, very often. I have a family member, a friend, someone that's close to me that's struggling with post-traumatic stress, um, or they've been diagnosed with post-traumatic stress. I don't understand it, but I want to help them. What can I do? Um, where Where do you point someone who really wants to be a help, but they don't know where to start? Yeah, yeah. One, I always, regardless of where somebody is, I do for veterans and first responders, I encourage them to go to Mighty Oaks first if they can and to try to help their family member get there Mm -hmm. because, not because you guys are the only ones who can do it, but you can get to a place with somebody in a week that might take me as a, as a counselor or right. a pastor, somebody else, six months. A sure. Year. Sure. So it just helps speed up the process in, in a sense. Yeah. The, uh, the, the other, so that's one piece of advice I tell people. The other is just be there, mm. just be there. Let them tell them out loud. I care about you. I see you're hurting and I'm here to help in any way I can. And I'm not going anywhere. And then physically do that, like be around and tell them, I'm not going to push you to talk about this, but I'm, I'm here. So that when whatever comes along that that causes them to be open to help, you'll be the person there that they can turn to and that they know that you're there. The other side of it is that the both our statistics, our, our data show, as well as lots of other things, that you as a you do not have to be an expert to help somebody who's struggling with PTSD. Yep. You have to be a good friend. That's you good. have to that's it. Just being there is a significant part, but you can get informed. Your guys' books, uh, Path to Resiliency and Truth About PTSD, I would encourage that person to read those. They're very small. They're written by Marines for Marines. So, uh, super no, simple. No offense, but they're super simple. They're very easy to read. The other one is a good, a good friend of mine, uh, a guy named Greg Gifford, is a, a Army veteran and professor at the Masters University, mm. wrote a book called Helping the Family of someone who I think it's called helping your family member has PTSD. So, and it is written to those family members uh, to give them some instruction, give them some help to walk through that path. It is very hard. And, and also for them as the family member to not isolate, but to make sure that they have support around them uh, to love them, care for them, pray for them, encourage them. Cause it is a hard, it's a hard road to walk down. Yeah. Uh, both the person who's struggling, but also the people who care about them and her watching them struggle. That's good. I, I do think that we're at a point in history where we have so many more resources available than than at any point in the past. And, you know, <laughs> we, we could go back to probably any war, but certainly like Vietnam, those folks coming back. Um, so many of the problems they brought back with them, people were just completely ill-equipped to handle. They didn't have those resources available. And we could go throughout history, but now we're in a good place. And I, I think encouraging families to get the help they can. But but the point about being a friend, be there for them. You don't have to be their counselor, be an encouragement to them. And, and I, I say that all of the time. You want to be the person that they go to when they finally realize they need help. And you have to be very careful with that. I say that about being a parent as well. Be the person that your kids want to come back to. But uh, great advice. Uh, Curtis, um, you've written um, a number of books. You and your wife just wrote. Uh, it's super creative. I-, I love how you guys did it. It's one book, but it's two books, uh, two parts to the same issue. Um, can you talk about that for a minute, where people can get it? You also do training for counselors, um, for lay counselors. And you have a podcast, you have a lot of things going on. Where can you uh, point people to, to get all of that? Yeah. Uh, well, thanks so much for mentioning our books. Yeah. My wife and I wrote, uh, her book is called reclaim your marriage. Uh, hope for wives who've been, whose hus- husbands have hurt through pornography. Mine is redeem your marriage. Uh, hope for help for husbands who have hurt through pornography. Yeah. Uh, and it's about pornography and, right. 
helping couples deal with that. And we acknowledge in the beginning that we recognize it could go the other way. You know, you could be a husband who's struggling because your wife has been, uh, you know, mentally unfaithful by, by pursuing pornography, but statistically the majority sure. of it. Sure. Husbands. And that's available anywhere. Amazon. Uh, it's published by New Growth Press. So if you go to their website, that's where I recommend going to get it. Uh, but Amazon, most book distributors will have those books. And they're, I love the covers. They're, yeah. I the cover art was really well done. I appreciate yeah. that. And my wife's book is really the, um, I mean, there are 15 bazillion books out there for men on pornography. But part of part of our books comes out of our own personal story and her experience of just not finding great resources mm. out there is one of, to help her yeah. as a wife who's, whose husband struggled with porn is, was one of the significant catalysts to that. So her book is super helpful and unique, and yeah. um, far fewer resources like that out there. Uh, I'll say this on, on her book. You sent both of those to me. I got them in the mail. I opened the package. My wife happened to be standing there and she grabbed them. And I was just trying to look at him. She took him from me. Then she took Jenny's book. And and I think she got most of the way through it, just working through it. Uh, loved it for the same reason. She said, there just there is not a resource like this that I'm aware of. And we deal with so many women that are struggling with, with this that, yeah, it's amazing. So, yeah, thank you for that. Yeah, there. And then a lot. another resource I always like to point people to is the Biblical Counseling Coalition's resource page. So if you go biblicalcc.org or biblicalcounselingcoalition.org, click on the menu button, there's a resource tab, and you will find an alphabetized listing of problems that you run into in life. And there are thousands of free resources to address all of those different types of mm -hmm. problems on there from uh, short blogs to podcasts to audio, video, lots of different resources like that. And those are absolutely 100% free. Of course, if you want to make a donation to help support the ministry, <laughs> right. going, that's always a, a benefit, but that's biblicalcc.org. Um, and yeah, those, so those two places are really great. Uh, our books and then that resource uh, the resource page. And then if you're looking for what books have been published by biblical counselors on different topics, we just acquired the rights to something called the annual guide to biblical counseling resources at the bottom of our website, biblicalcc.org. You can click on the annual guide to biblical counseling resources. And that is a, I think we charge you five or six bucks for it. And it's a 246 page. Wow electronic book that yeah. is hyperlinked to every published resource in biblical counseling. And it goes directly, the, the table of contents is hyperlinked by category. So if you're like depression, yeah. bipolar disorder, anxiety, go there and see every book that's been written on that topic. And then it, it'll link you right to where you can purchase it straight from that resource. So um, love, love, love those resources. Super happy to get to provide them to the world. That's awesome. Dr. Curtis Solomon, thank you. Really, really appreciate it. We've talked a lot and uh, we talk, you know, personally offline. We've done several podcasts together, but uh, thanks for breaking this one down for us. I, this is such an important topic and so misunderstood and I uh, just appreciate your insights on it. Thanks. Thanks for doing it. Absolutely, brother. It's always a pleasure. Sir. Sure. Many of our veterans feel they need to fight their battles alone. This self-isolation has led to the staggering statistic of more than 20 veterans taking their lives every day. The mission of Mighty Oaks is to eradicate the veteran suicide epidemic and help our warriors change their legacies. We've been able to help over 4,000 veterans and first responders by equipping them with the tools they need to live the lives they were created to live. Our faith-based, peer-to-peer approach has one of the highest success rates of any program available today, offering hope and understanding to those who need it most. By aligning their lives to biblical principles, these men and women are able to lead their families, their communities, and our nation. It's your generosity that can make a difference in the lives of the men and women who have fought for our country and our freedoms. Now that they're home, don't let them fight alone. Learn more at MightyOaksPrograms.org. Thankful for the work of Dr. Curtis Solomon. He has been a friend personally. He's a friend to our organization and has done so much to provide an expanded understanding of not only the framework of post-traumatic stress and the clinical view of that, but how we as those who hold a biblical worldview, who approach this from a faith position, how we can do that, what it means, and has really demonstrated how effective it is. Very thankful for his work. Please go and check out the work that he's doing through the Biblical Counseling Coalition. Look at his books. Listen to his podcast. You'll be thankful that you did. 
I appreciate you watching and or listening to this show. Uh, again, for those that have listened to this, this is a resource that you should share out. Uh, share it with the people that you know. Share it with people in your lives. You can find more information about this topic on the Mighty Oaks website, mightyoaksprograms.org. Would love for you to go and check that out as well as we have much information there for you. If you are subscribed to this show, thank you. If you are not yet subscribed, you need to be. Subscribe on your favorite platform or go over to YouTube, look for The Situation Report. You'll find our channel there. Subscribe, hit the notification bell, and three times a week when this content is produced, it will be pushed out directly to you. And we'd love for you to join the conversation there. Thank you again for watching. Thank you for listening. We will talk to you next time. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.